Would you welcome Ricky Jakubowski Thank and you. just give him a shallow round of applause? Ricky. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good morning. So I'm happy to be here, but I got to be honest, I'm on vacation. So at least I wore my Converse in Rebellion, all right? I'm going to wear these Converse. And I might doze off during my own sermon, but uh, here I am. It's good to be here this morning. Can I get a lay of the land? This is a new context for me, so can you just raise your hands? How many people are on vacation this morning, like myself? All right, a couple of people. My wife gave a half hand raise, all right? <laughs> okay, how many people, just to know like, your background, how many people grew up uh, in a charismatic Pentecostal church upbringing? If you can raise your hand, all right? How many people grew up Catholic, born and raised Catholic? All right, good chunk. How many just in another Protestant church? How many grew up with no church? All right, so we've got a good little group. All right, sounds good. Well, again, my name is Rick, as you just saw in the video. My family's here this morning. I speak kind of quick, so I'll try to slow down for some of you. But as I get going this morning, um, I've been around the Christian block in my 37 years of existence. Uh, my, both my parents were raised Catholic. And, uh, and then we were born and raised Catholic, confirmed the Catholic Church, kind of came to faith in a Baptist church. And then from there I went to Liberty, which has a more Baptist background. I uh, was a missionary overseas, which was very much more charismatic and Pentecostal, amen? And, uh, and now I'm planting a church with the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is kind of like right in between there. Um, but I realize in all of that, uh, as we're planting this church in Providence, uh, this is the first church plant that we know of, even in this neighborhood, ever. There's two Catholic churches, both of them are kind of fading out, no families are going, kind of irrelevant. And so the context that I'm reaching out to, uh, I kind of look back and I'm grateful for how God has built me because I'm reaching out to a very post-Catholic, uh, post-Catholic population or post-Pentecostal population. We have over 60% Latinos in the city of Providence and many of them grew up in some kind of Pentecostal church or independent Pentecostal church or some family member's church and something in that went wrong for them or they felt it wasn't relevant for them so they now no longer go. And then for the other demographic, they, they grew up Catholic and have had the same story. So for me, I'm kind of calling back the prodigals. We're trying to see what church looks like for these people that actually have a belief in God. There's something in there. But how do you bring them back? How do you draw them out and help them realize that God still is for them and loves them and has a plan for them? And so I find it funny. Um, I'll pick up my dad since they wanted me to preach this morning. Here they are. You know, like my father uh, is still very much a closet Baptist, I would say. All right? But I find it funny in the last 10 years... Uh, if we go through the realms of like your Presbyterian or your Baptist who will make the joke and say you're, you're chosen frozen over to like your charismatic kind of more groups, the Pentecostal who, who sometimes will make fun of them, say the happy clappy. The happy clappies have been taking care of my dad and loving him for the last, I think, like 10 years. So I laughed as I drove here this morning. My dad, is Pastor Mike still here? My dad had to drive by two Baptist churches just to get here this morning. I never noticed that. I drove down the road from downtown where my parents live. He had to drive by First Baptist Church. He had to drive by another one I saw was Bible Baptist Church. I mean, his heart must ache as he just drives by two Baptist church, churches to get here to be with you fine people this morning. So anyways, thank you for loving my family, being there for them. Um, a tradition that I actually still love and appreciated with our Catholic background was still the, the appreciation for the scriptures. And so could you do me a favor as I read scriptures? Could you stand for me for the reading of God's word? Go ahead, take a stand for me. This is from Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. 
I don't think this morning I'm going to say anything too new to you, but I hope as you're on vacation or will be on vacation, hopefully slowing down in the summer, you can appreciate what God is saying to you this morning in this text. So again, out of the NIV, you're welcome to share it with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And, so to all the be- and to all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And so it was so. And please hear me in closing. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So yeah, Jesus, I have some pages on my little iPad here of notes. Things I feel you put on my heart, but I just submit this time to you, and I pray that you speak to each one of us. And no matter where we're coming from this morning, for those of us, maybe we're just on vacation and... Just open up our hearts to who you are and who you could be. I pray that you speak to each one of us and help us to realize what you're telling us in the beginning of this text and in the beginning of our story. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm in a church plant, as you just saw in that video, and so we're in year one. We just started having services last fall. And so we have the unique opportunity right now to be meeting in a gym. And so I'm looking out in this building. I, got, I have to be honest, I'm trying to focus, but I have a little pastor envy right now. You have like a prayer room, you have bathrooms, everything's clean. We rent every Sunday morning, we go in and under the little stage of the gym where two of my kids go, we pull everything out, we put up pipes and drapes and chairs and the soundboard and we do the whole thing on Sunday mornings and that's church planning uh, in, our, in our area, what it's like. And in the summer, we're out actually in the local park because it's so hot in the gym, so anytime it's not raining, we're actually meeting in the local park and so that's where we're at right now. But as we've been going into the summer, I realize... Um, We're going through a summer series uh, called Throwback, talking about the Old Testament. What do snakes, floods, and giants have to do with the love of God? And I've realized, I don't know about you in your context, but I've realized for years in our modern church, we talk about Jesus a lot, we talk about his words and his life in the New Testament, but we've really forsaken the Old Testament, which is even more books than the New Testament. And, I, and, and I'm specifically talking about the Old Testament and these crazy stories that many of us, maybe if we don't want to admit, we kind of sometimes think they're mythical. David and Goliath and floods and Jonah and the fish. What do these things have to do with us today? And the important reality for us to go back into today, why I'm sharing this today, is for us to realize the full story. Realize how God was always doing his redeeming, beautiful, restorative work from the beginning and with all these crazy stories, even you heard as a child, how God's redemptive plan has continually, faithfully been there. And ultimately comes in Jesus Christ that you and I can now have. That's what we've been doing. And so today I'm reminding you of this first book, uh, first story in Genesis. I don't know about you, but I'm not good with introductions. Like personally, like getting to know you. Like I have something that's called ADD, attention deficit disorder. 
Uh, but it was before, like, you started getting medicated for that. So, like, if right now you guys start falling asleep or a squirrel walks by, I'm going to lose the whole sermon. I'm just going to be, like, looking at it. I'm going to totally lose attention. <laughs> but with that, when I say that, I like to just get to the point. I like to just say, here's the point, let's get to it. I don't want to talk about all the beginning and setting it up. I just want to get right to the point, let's get to it. But I realize when I do that, when we skip the introduction, people won't understand us. People won't know what our intentions were. People don't fully understand us and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so an introduction is very important. For example, in the year 2000, I met my wife on a mission trip. We were both doing a short-term mission trip to Guatemala. I realized she speaks Spanish. She spoke Spanish, and so I was trying to impress her. So my introduction to my wife was, in my very rough Spanish at the time, I tried to say something to impress her in Spanish, but it came out terribly wrong. And so my introduction to my wife, basically I said something perverted in Spanish. It came out terribly wrong, translated wrong. She's like, who is this weirdo? And so my introduction to my wife was very wrong. She didn't understand who I was and thought I was a total wacko, right? Introductions are very important. But see, in the next days, my wife got to see what I was doing there. And she actually, she tells a story of how she grew to understand and respect me. She watched me washing dishes with the local indigenous women. And getting to know them and just hanging out with them and serving them with no one looking at me. She got to see what my heart and my intentions really were about. And so then she therefore understood me and gave me a chance. Now we're celebrating 15 years being married. Next week. But my point in that is an introduction is very important. I feel you and I are in a story of all the different theologies that are out there from systematic theology to liberation theology to black theology. There's this one called narrative theology, and I love some of the aspects of that. And I love to understand and realize that you and I are a part of a story. And if we're part of a story, we all play a very essential, important part. And what we looked at when I just shared with you this morning is the author of our story wrote and began our start in this beginning. One of my favorite quotes is from G.K. Chesterton. He says this, I had always felt life first as a story. And if there is a story, there is a storyteller. Today we just heard, when I read that scripture to you, the first chapter of our story, penned by the author of life, created and made by his hand and with his intention. It's a beautiful story. And I want to refresh you and remind you in it this morning. Amen? So again, back to introductions. I skip them a lot. I know about you and some of you have children. Can you raise your hand if you have children or raise children? We do this thing at home where I read my kids a scripture, a Bible story before they go to bed. I've realized as I've done this, it's kind of created a habit where if they don't get it, they like melt down. They, they just lose themselves. They don't know how to handle it. So there's some nights I'm not home or I'm doing something and they're like, well, Dad, what about our Bible story? And I feel really guilty. I want to make sure I get them that Bible story, right? So currently I read to them the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's the story that talks about all the stories and how it all, from the Old and New Testament, whisper Jesus' name and point to Jesus. And so I realize sometimes I open that and it's late at night sometimes and can I just be honest? I want to rush through it every once in a while, maybe once or twice a week. I don't have time for this. So I'll open it, and I'm like, oh, it's seven pages tonight. David and Goliath. Oh, I really just want to go watch Netflix and fall asleep. I've had a long day. But there's my four children just looking at me, minding their story. So if I can be honest, you know, like the great pastor that I am and father that I am, sometimes I'll just, you know, do a little two, three-page skip. There's a man named David, and then there's Goliath, and he's dead. All right, kids, let's pray and go to bed. But you see, the funny thing is my kids always notice when I skip a couple 
couple pages in that, in that chapter. Are you with me? They always notice, even the little ones, like, hey, that's not it. What about this? What about the details? And what's the whole point of the story? And I'm like, oh, I just wanted to get to the point. David falls dead. Boom, let's pray. My children, you see, always realize when we skip a couple pages. But us in our, in our modern faith and in the modern church and our Christianity, do you and I, here's my challenge to you this morning, do you and I realize that we skip the creation story in our gospel presentation, in our worldview, and how we see and treat people? We skip the whole creation story. And what we'll talk about today, that God created it and created us. And his thing, the only thing he says, his expression, is he looks at us and he says it's very good. I don't know about you, but I've spent a lot of my life kind of skipping that whole part, the creation story. And I get right into the fall. Genesis chapter 3, right? Adam and Eve mess up. They disobey God. They don't trust God's good intentions. They do their thing. And then now has started our whole path of brokenness and sin. And so our presentation, our thought, our framework, many times is we look at people broken, sinning, and going to hell. And that's how we start off. And I don't know about you, but it's not the most powerful approach. We kind of skip a couple pages and get right to that. And I'm realizing as I'm reaching to a lot of broken people, a lot of people that do not know God, that do not know the scriptures. I don't know about this area, but in Providence, Time Magazine gave it the least biblically minded city in the United States a couple years ago. Which means they do not open the scriptures for anything. It sure is an authority speaking into their lives. They find it completely irrelevant. How do we reach these people? And I realized by reaching them, by just starting off and looking at them saying, nurse, sinner, and the hands of an angry God, have a nice day, and leave, that's not really a great approach and doesn't help. Are you with me? I came here a couple months ago with my parents. I drove them up here and had some family time, and I was flying home. And I've always been really chill in an airplane. I've always been, like my dad was a pilot. I always realized the statistics of like getting an accident compared to even just being in the car. It's much less. So I've always been very calm in a plane. I grew up in one, right? But I'm driving, I'm flying back to Boston, and um, something's going wrong with the plane, and I'm realizing how terrible the approach was, which affected the landing, my whole experience, and me ever literally wanting to go on the plane again. Because I spent about 30 minutes in the approach, with the flight attendants freaking out, every being, everybody being rude, everyone being afraid of dying. So please hear me. The landing, we actually got there, and we had the landing. But I don't remember the landing. I wasn't appreciating the landing. The only thing I remember was the approach. And it turned me off. It scared the heck out of me. And it ruined my day. And actually ruined me even wanting to get on a plane again. Are you with me? You see, my dad was a pilot. He could, he could explain a lot more to you about what an approach is and what that all entails. But all I know is my experience in that moment was awful. And I don't want to go back to it. And so how many people outside of these walls your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers and those quirky family members that you think are really, really lost and broken. How many times have they actually heard the good news that Jesus Christ created them for good, loves them, has a plan for them, but we fell astray, but he comes back for us. You see, we skip the introduction. We skip the intentions of God. We skip the beginning and why God started and began and created us. And I think that has huge ramifications in our modern world. That's bad news. I remember growing up, I remember reading this, and I was like, man, this is really good. Romans Road, right? It was like four or five verses I can remember. Like, okay, this is how I can present the gospel. And I said, it's just even to make a point. Where does the Romans Road start? Does anyone remember? 
Romans 3.23, for all fall short, right, of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So again, we continually in our narrative, in our framework, framework, and how we see the world, is we start in Genesis 3, and we skip Genesis 1 and 2. And we should go back, and we should realize the beauty in our story. This has huge implications. If we start by seeing and telling everyone that they're bad, sinners are under punishment, right? How motivating, how much are they actually listening? The good news is that God's full story is beautiful. And we all get to take part of it. God's full story is beautiful. And we all get to take part of it. Two things I want you to realize in this when I read the scripture. He made us in his image. Out of all creation, we humans are made in the image of God. We are his treasured creation. Many of you have lived a good chunk of your life from a different place, feeling inadequate, not feeling loved, not feeling accepted, not pretty enough, not smart enough, not rich enough, not from the right side of town. I'm realizing at 37, I've spent a lot of my life just trying to prove myself to someone or something, trying to earn something. One of the biggest tests for me is being a church planter. Starting a church literally from nothing other than my family. Can I actually get this thing off the ground? How many people will show up on a Sunday morning? I seek my approval and my value and my worth so many times from how many butts are in a seat on a Sunday morning. And so it really makes me continue to go back to this beautiful beginning of the story, of my story, of your story, where God just looks at us before we've done anything. And says it's good. Not only that, actually the scripture says it's very good. Where are you getting your value and your worth this morning? Jim Carrey has this beautiful quote. Do you know who Jim Carrey is? I remember growing up Dumb and Dumber, right? He was a comedian. Had a couple movies out there. Uh, when he's a young man, I remember this. And I remember as I was a teenager, I heard the story. I'm like, wow, he actually got to do it. He's successful. Before he became a famous actor, he was trying to be an actor. He wrote himself a check for a million dollars. He wrote himself a check for a million dollars. Can you imagine that? And he's like, one day, this is my dream, I'm going to actually cash this baby. And so he, I think he did The Mask, was one of the first ones, terrible movie, but he did make some money off of it, okay? Uh, and he gets to cash that check, and you know his life probably a little bit. Pretty famous, made a lot of money, and, he's, and I want you to hear this quote that he said. He once said this, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. To begin from a place of being loved and approved of, knowing you bear the image of an almighty God is all that matters and should be the thing that drives us and the thing that we give and share with other people. Now I'm sure many of you know what God is like or the attributes of God, but I just want to remind you do you look in the mirror and do you see the reflection of an almighty creator God who created you in his image? It says clearly in this passage, you were created to reflect him in his image. A couple things real quick. First John chapter 4, God is love. It doesn't say he loves well or he just created love. No, he actually exuberates love. He is love. He created you with that. Romans chapter 12 says uh, he's merciful. He's not a bully up in the sky looking to pick on us or just judge us or be mean to us. He actually creates you, as you just heard in the story, with good intentions. He has a good plan for you. 
Now, when we get to Genesis 3, yeah, we've said no thank you to that, and we think we can go on our own. But let's stop and back up. Whoa, 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 whoa. God created you with good in mind. Loves you. Merciful. Always waiting to bestow mercy and to give you mercy and to give you another chance. He's not there saying, nope, that was your fourth time. You're getting annoying. He is there for you continually. Hebrews chapter 10, he's faithful. He's faithful. Me and my father and my kids last night, we went up and watched the sunset on the other side of Charlevoix, on the other side of the bridge. And I, what I'm here, that's like my thing. It's one, one thing I make sure I do. Every night I go watch the sunset. And I remember one of my parents' neighbors saying, that's not going to set tonight, you're not going to see anything. And in my mind, I'm like, the sun always sets. This I know in the summer in Charlevoix, right over the lake, right? I might miss one or two, like maybe the clouds block it, but most of the time it's this beautiful thing. And even last night, though many weren't up there, many didn't think it was going to happen, the sun pokes out. The creator of the universe that put that sun as it faithfully sets every night at 925 right now in Charlevoix, Michigan. This God is faithful, never changing, loving, faithful, good, waiting for you and I to continue to come back to him, to continue to bear his image more and more, and to give his goodness and his good intentions and to share that with the people around us. Amen? Now again, I'm not talking about Genesis 3 today, and I, and I say that in all love that I think we've heard about that enough in our Christian faith. I'm going back to Genesis 1. But please hear, I'm not a heretic. <laughs> I totally believe we are fallen, we are broken, right? We are sinners, and we have to come back to Jesus, right? Genesis 3. But let's again go back to Genesis 1. God creates us, looks at us, enjoys us, says we're very good, and then takes a nap the next day. He's Sabbath. He takes a day where he actually just rests and enjoys his creation. So I don't know about you, but I have four children, and every time I've seen one of them born, every time I've watched one of them, you know, like, I can be emotional, but, like, but even, like, the most cold-hearted dude will cry at the birth of their child because it's this beautiful thing. You're watching this new creature, this new human being being born, and your response, you don't even know how to respond. You just cry. It's beautiful. You don't look at your newborn baby, and as my dad makes a joke, that ain't my baby, that baby's ugly. I'm going to get some personal jokes that only he gets in my family. Right? You don't look at that baby and you don't say that. Like, oh, this baby's ugly. This isn't mine. This is a broken, sinful little thing. Get this thing out of my face. No one does that. Most people don't do that. You look at your babies and you just take joy in the beauty of that thing. Right? And the beauty of that creature. And then your intentions, no matter how broken or messed up you are, or how much you go astray, your intentions deep inside, even us as broken human beings, are always for that child to have the best, to flourish, to have a good life. How much more? Why, where does that come from if it doesn't come from the Father God who created you and I? This is how he looks at you and me. Is this how, that you, is this how you look at yourself? Is this how you look at the people around you? that are really far off and don't know his good intentions. Secondly, I notice this. He created the earth and he created us and he said, it's very good. We read over that. We don't think about that. We go back to the creation story. I don't know about you, but I realize where I'm at, there's a lot of educated people. We, they'll get into, like you talk about Genesis 1, and the main thing we want to argue over is that God, God created the earth in seven literal day, or six literal days, or was it like you know, theistic evolution, and it, it, was it just God let it all be? And we lose the point 
We lose the point of this beautiful story. The authority and the beauty of why this text is left for us isn't for us to argue over how much it was, when it was created and how many years ago it was. It is for us to realize that the Father God had good intentions for us. He created us by His hands. And He breathed and He spoke. And His authority spoke the world into existence. And you and I into existence. The cosmos does not just have a fart. And then here we are today. Are you with me? The cosmos didn't just have a burp, and then here we are today, and we're all this great accident. You were created with great intention, with beauty in mind, with love and grace and mercy in mind by a creator God. And can I just say something, hopefully a little convicting and in love? You're not just the only special snowflake. You know, I like to think I'm the most special, and God really loves me and bestows his love on me. No, he actually wants to bestow it on everyone. And if we could get over ourselves a little bit and think about all the other people, those really messy ones and broken ones that we don't want to deal with, God loves them just as much. Humankind, whatever, whatever stereotype or people or country that you put on is like, man, I'm not going there and I don't like those people. God created them with God's good intentions. And in the beginning created all of us and said, it's very good. Very good. So we have a deep mission based on that, right? If he created us in his image, we're his treasured creation that he built, right? If he created us and he says it's very good, that gives us a lot more of a mission as a church, as people that believe in God and what to do and how to live this life. We don't say it, but just like that bad approach it was on the plane, like we're not just telling people, you're going to die in this plane, take this parachute, have a nice life, and just chill for the next seven years of your life. You have a deep mission that God has called you to now. If God created you with beauty and goodness in mind, he wants you to continue to go into that, and he wants you to draw that out with everyone around us. We skip Genesis 1, and we skip the end of Revelations. God creates, and he says it's good, and at the end, what does he say? Jesus says, I'm going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, behold, in the final chapter, he says, behold, I'm making all things new. That gives us a beautiful way to start living now. Not just to wait for heaven or get there one day and then we got our ticket to get up there one day. To start living out the realities of heaven now. The beautiful thing about the gospel was a proclamation. Jesus came, right? And in Mark 1, it's like, I am here. The kingdom of God is here. He talked more. If you want to go home, Google this. He talked more about the kingdom than he did heaven itself. We don't hear that. We don't, we don't see that. He talked more about the kingdom of God more than heaven itself. Because he says that now my presence is here. I have ushered in a new reality that won't fully be here until I return, but you can continue to taste and continue to walk into and continue to help show people what it'll be like for eternity. The kingdom of God. We start realizing that we can start being restorers. Instead of us just trying to keep ourselves holy, keep ourselves a certain way, like we actually go out and we care for those around us and help point out and show the beauty of God that is all around us. And that the Psalms say, fill the earth. The glory and the goodness and the love of God fill the earth. Do you and I feel that? Do you and I live like that's a reality? As Mike was saying during prayer time. I found myself having such a deeper mission of like looking for people and looking at the most lost and broken being like, they don't got a chance. But with the, my spiritual eyes and my, and my heart of faith, 
with the Spirit of God living in me, looking at the most broken people and saying, God created them. God has intentions for them. They don't know it. They've never heard it. But I'm going to help show them that beauty and reality. What a beautiful mission we all have to restore the earth, to restore everyone around us and help show them what they were created to be. Amen? How do we do this? How do we do this? We need the fruit of the Spirit. It's funny, Mike, uh, let me go in the back room here to go over my notes again and pray. And there's two banners there saying the fruit of the Spirit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume many of you know this passage, right? Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which is patience, right? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. For many, for many years, I've tried to just, like, do these things. Like, my kids are driving me nuts, or someone's driving me cuckoo. Or as a pastor, I'm like, I just need patience. I just need the Spirit of the Lord. That's not really how it works. I don't just get to attain it. It's actually the life of God, the Spirit of God, breathing in me, living through me. And as He overflows through me, these are the things that come out. These are things that witness to the world who we are, who Jesus is, what His creation is about, what the Creator God is about. Amen? But I don't know about you. There's some of those, you read those, right? How many of there were? Six or seven? I always, like, I have a certain personality, a little high-strung, a little impatient. So I always have to go back to the gentleness one. Or the self-control. Like, yeah, I got to remember those two. Gentleness. Self-control. But I've overlooked goodness. I've overlooked goodness. Or I've misunderstood goodness. And I'm just like, oh, I just, I'm going to be good. And God's life's in me, so I'm going to be good. Goodness is defined like this from one of my pastor friends. Goodness is the godly conviction that everything has a basic holiness. Did you hear that? Goodness is the godly conviction that everything has a basic holiness. People and things. We ask, God, we ask for God's intentions and heart for mankind to live inside of us and, and, and flow through us. This is how we do it. We have the Spirit of God living inside us. We depend on Him. And we actually have the goodness is actually conviction that every single person though you might not see it, though they might not have never felt it, has the print of God upon them. Has a basic holiness inside of them. And what a beautiful calling for us to restore that, to point that out, to bring that to people, help them see what they were created for. So as you're getting into summer, who are you going to be interacting with that seems hopeless or hasn't changed? What situation are you coming across that seems hopeless and dark and broken and hasn't changed for years. I look from the beginning of our story and I'm reminded this morning that God created it with good and good intentions and he never stops doing that. Are we going to join him in that mission of bringing the goodness and beauty and glory of the Lord to everything around us? God created you and he says you are good. Do you need to hear that this morning? God created that pain in the butt person in your life and he says he is good. Can you just stop for a moment and think about that person? We all have that family member we're going to see on vacation. We're all going to, I'm not talking about my family. I love my family here, right? I, I didn't directly look at my dad or anything, right? We all have that pain in the butt person we're going to see. We go back to work tomorrow and have that person. You have that neighbor. You have people in your life that you literally don't give a chance. Let's just get honest. And the point of what I'm saying in this sermon is with the creative, intentive heart of God. Can we see the potential and the capacity and the opportunity that is flowing all around us? It's there. 
And the creator God put it there. He gives us the opportunity to restore and help people bring back to it. Listen, how does everyone in the world that isn't in here this morning know about the goodness of God unless the children of God who experience the goodness of God go and give them that goodness and share with them God's love? They're not going to. They're not going to. Simple as that. In church planning in the city where I'm doing, you meet a lot of characters. I have sermon illustrations all day. You meet a lot of crazy people, right? One of my favorite ones, and I'll be closing with this um, in a couple of moments, is, is, is a friend named Lance. But it starts with his sister, Naomi. You see, as I was starting this church, we have to start this thing. It's called the launch team. So it's like you get 30 core people. That's what our denomination kind of says. You had to get 30 core people that are just ready to get it done. You know, they're going to set up chairs. They're gonna, they know Jesus. They're growing in their faith. They're going to be your core and be there for you as you get this thing going. It's tough. So you start with this core. And I remember thinking about Naomi, this woman I had met. And I remember praying. I remember even talking with my wife because I have to go to her because she's the compassionate one. I'm just like, sling them and get it done. Let's keep moving. My wife's got the compassion and really cares for people and loves and has a shepherd's heart. And I remember talking about Naomi. And I'm like, do we have her on the launch team? I'm pretty crazy and I roll with a lot of things. That's why I'm church planning, but uh, I don't know. You know, it's kind of like this. And I was praying. You see, Naomi and her brother Lance were raised in the foster care system since they were little children. They were abused at a young age by a family member. Naomi spent her whole adult life as a prostitute on the streets in South Providence. She spent her whole adult life as a heroin addict on the streets of Providence. And she's been two years clean. She's come to faith. She's been a part of a couple of churches. But I don't know about you, but kind of like the addicts will find themselves, the recovery addicts, and they never really feel like they have a place. And so she never felt like she had a home until our church. She felt fully loved and accepted and valued and taken for who she was. And so she's just thrived and grown and continues to grow. But I remember, I'm like, do I let the recovering addict prostitute in my launch team? I don't know, you know, I don't know. And she's been nothing but such a blessing and one of the most godly, maturing, growing people in our story and in our church. So she calls me up one day, right? After we got the church planning going, she calls me up and she's like, listen, my younger brother Lance, my little brother, so if you just hear that, right? You're like, oh, little brother. My little brother Lance, he's in the hospital right now. He's got the same story as me, really rough past. He's abusing drugs. He just tried to kill himself again. He spent the last couple of years overdosing, trying to kill himself. Can you go see him in the hospital? I'm like, all right, Naomi's one of my main people. I got you. I'm going to go see him. I go into the hospital with, again, no introduction. <laughs> Back to that story, right? Naomi just said her little brother. So I'm like, all right, little dude, I'm going to go see him. This guy is a monster. I don't know if you ever saw, like, the Green Mile. It's on TNT, like Tom Hanks. You know, like, the big African-American guy, and, like, he can, like, heal people. And, like, like everyone's, like, this is the size of Lance. Lance is 6'8", at least. He's a good 300 pounds. And he talks like this. And I sit down with him in the psych ward of the hospital as he just tried to kill himself the day before. And I start talking to Lance. I start talking to Lance, and he, he's slow to open up. He gets mad once and punches the wall because he wants the nurse's attention. I'm trying to play it cool and macho, but I'm like, <laughs> I'm really just hoping I'll get punched in the face because like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to take it. My wife's going to make fun of me when I get home. I mean, it's going to be a whole mess. I'm sitting there trying to play it cool with this hot-tempered bodyguard. That's what he does for a living for years. So what he does is he's a bodyguard at the local clubs. And as the kids come in or young people come in with their drugs, he confiscates the drugs for them, and then he goes home and abuses them. And the whole time while I'm talking to him, for an hour I'm hanging out with him, talking to him, this hospital visit, he keeps looking me up and down. 
And he's like, you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, well, take this as a compliment. Thank you very much. And he's like, you're not a priest, are you? Please hear me. He says, you're not a priest, are you? I'm like, dude, do I look like a priest? Like, no, I'm not a priest. And I realize as he lets his guard down and he starts talking to me, he never went to church. He's abused as a kid. He never has parents. And at age 17, a Catholic priest in Providence pulls up, invites him to go to the park, tries to abuse him in the car. Lance at 17, being raised in the street, says no thank you to that. Pull, hear me now. This is what I'm dealing with. Pulls the priest out of the car, beats him over the head almost to death with a brick, throws him in the river, takes his car, heads to Boston. Gets pulled over in Boston with a trunk full of LSD, and then Lance starts his prison life as an adult life for the next 20 years. Now I find him same age as me now, totally different life, 37 years old, trying to kill himself over and over. And please hear me, this is my point of why I tell this story, other than the crazy stories of church planting. He says this, as I tell him that there's a creator God that loves him. He already knows he's a sinner and messed up. I do not need to remind Lance in the moment that he's a sinner and he's going to go to hell. That's not what he needs to hear in that moment. He's never heard that there's a Father God that loves him and has created him for good. And he says, I want to end my life because I've never thought anything about myself other than I'm a piece of fill in the blank. That's Lance's story. I think I'm a piece of you know what. And that day he says yes to Jesus. He says yes to Jesus. He starts a life, but please hear me, 37 years of living a completely different way where he's never heard he's loved or valued. It takes some time. And that's the beauty of church planning and what I have to learn. The process. So we have our first Easter a couple months ago, right? The couple days before Easter, he put something on Facebook. I just wish I wasn't friends with half the people I'm trying to reach on Facebook. He writes something so wildly inappropriate, I will never share to a human being out loud about some current desires he has. I'm like, oh, what's he doing? And then a couple minutes later, he's like, hey, come to my new church Easter invite. It's great. It's awesome. Come on out. And I get to just watch this. I'm like, all right. Respect the process. Hopefully, a lot of people don't see this post. You see, if I was going to be honest with you, and as I see in church plan, I have to continue to learn. The reality is a lot of people aren't going to experience the goodness and love and the intentions of God. Because you and I are just honestly a little too lazy to roll up our sleeves and to take the time and to like deal with a person like Lance in an awkward Facebook post and maybe years more of struggling with addictions or bad lifestyles or bad habits and continue to point out to them the good that God has for them and the good that God is doing in their lives. I feel so much that the gospel is a proclamation but please hear me. I don't know how effective it is to just get up on a soapbox and to yell out to people that they're sinners and they're dying. I don't know how many people are listening. And I'm not saying that to say, like, let's not do that. I am saying this. People need to know there's a God that loves them and has created them for good. Just like Lance. They need to first know that they are loved and have intentions from a Father God that loves them and has a beautiful plan for them. And for you and I, it's more than a proclamation. Can I just say that? It's more than a proclamation. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, that he loves us and has a plan for us, has to be us pointing in the direction. It's more than proclamation. Bless you. It has to be us pointing and saying, that's God. God's doing that. Look how God's been so good in your life. Look how God's taking you through that trial. Look how God's saying this and doing this and present in your life. We have to actually take the time, meet people where they're at, and point them to the goodness of God. The holiness of Almighty God did not keep his heavenly tush in heaven. 
He came down to earth, lived in a podunk town 2,000 years ago, lived in the muck and the mire and the brokenness of humankind, ate and drank with us, ticked off all the religious elites because they had their own system and lifestyle going on. He completely lived outside of that, lived and cared for the poor and the marginalized and the hurt, and he gave his life for them. And he points in the direction that you and I shall live. Point people to God and meet them where they're at. So in closing, I can ask, I think, Jackie to come up and a closing song for worship. You see, the reality is most of us don't want to do this because we just don't want to do the work and realize this good God has good intentions for us. I think of my parents for an example of the good intentions that they've had as I'm here and seeing them this week. I was driving days ago to what we call hillbilly heaven. What my dad calls hillbilly heaven. See, I live in Providence, and I got to go through 80 West for years. Seems like years. It's for hours. I'm on 80 West just going through Pennsylvania, and I just feel bad. I'm looking out here. I'm like, who lives out here? Oh, my gosh. It's just like five hours of nothing, a couple farms. As I'm driving through, I drive through these mountains, and I see this beautiful sunset and this vanilla sky, and I just am driving. Everyone's doing their own thing in the car or sleeping, and I'm just like, God, you're so good. Your creation, your beauty in these mountains is so good. You're present, you're with me, you're in here as I'm making jokes. You know, like, look at the sunset and look at the beauty of your creation. And then I realize, realize as I look up, it's around Clarion, Pennsylvania, where my dad was raised. And it just makes me think of my father, of my mother, the goodness that God has had in their lives. Both of them then being raised in Marlette, Michigan, being married for over 40 years, having good intentions, the father's intentions with their children. And now they get to see three kids, another child that they've adopted, they know Moses, right? Four children, all follow and serve the Lord. And now eight, chil- eight grandchildren get to be raised with the same intentions of the Father. God has been so merciful and good and gracious to my family, to my parents, and to you. And I hope you can see the example of my parents and the grace and the mercy and the faithfulness for over 40 years. And the intentions that the Father's had in them. And how it's played out into their children and their grandchildren. It's a legacy. In closing, I'd like you to take these two things. I ask you to name this week, as you start a new week, right? I ask you to name the good things that are going on around you. And acknowledge that God is the giver of those good things. I'm not just talking about material wealth. I'm talking about his presence. I'm talking about the sunset. I'm talking about a nap, a good lunch, the people around you. The earth is full of God's goodness. Can you, as this child, acknowledge it and see it? And I ask you as you go into this week, I know you have those people, and I pray that God put them in your mind, that annoying, hopeless person in your life or situation, can you go into your week and by God's grace and spirit living in you, point out in each one of those persons' lives, this good creator, Father God, what he's doing in their lives. Can we intentionally, just like God didn't just create us when we're an accident, he created us with deep intentionality and love and goodness. Can we go to the people that are in our lives, the stubborn ones, the impossible ones, the ones we don't want to actually even have time with or talk with, and can we share with them this good God and the ways that he's working in their lives and is there for them? And can you and I incarnate as Jesus did, show the goodness of God and meet people where they're at and continue to point where they should be. In Jesus' name, amen.
good, good father, it's who you are.